Uh, let me first pray. Let's open in prayer. Father, we need your touch. We want your filling of your Holy Spirit and your guide, your guidance, Lord. You're lighting the steps of our path, Lord. Just give us the wisdom to trust in you to take the step that you have lit for us. We ask that you please speak each individual heart tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by thanking Pastor Boots and uh, Mount Victory Baptist Church for having me here speaking this meeting. It's an honor I do not take lightly. I'm 41 years of age. I've pastored Victory Baptist Church in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania for the last 10 years. Before that, I was a youth pastor for seven years at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Malvern, Arkansas. Perhaps you can hear my accent. No, I, it's, it's gone, but... Uh, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor for my entire ministry, uh, but God's plans are always better than ours, and uh, it has been an honor to serve the Lord in any capacity these past 17 years of full-time Christian service. This upcoming December, I will uh, celebrate 18 wonderful years with the love of my life. Wave your hand, Rachel, so they know who you are a little higher. There she is. Amen. I'm the father of three teenagers, so pray for me. Pray for them. <laughs> uh, I, I've been to 27 of the 50 states, eight different countries, and I've walked where you've walked, I've sat where you've sat, and I've been praying that the Lord would speak to each and every heart during this conference, including the hearts of my own children, and whether there were two, 20, or 200 teenagers attending, that God would touch and connect with each individual here in a special way tonight. Our text is 1 Kings chapter 17, and, and as you uh, you're ready to look at that passage of scripture. Let me just introduce you to several of the characters in this story. First, there's Elijah. He's a mighty prophet of God, a man who sold out for God's service to such a degree that God did many mighty miracles through him. He is on the front lines in the spiritual warfare of his time. Satan has been trying to distract God's people in the northern kingdom of Israel from following God Almighty. And Satan has offered a substitute for their worship in the form of a false god and a false idol by the name of Baal. Then, just like now, Satan wants to replace God, Jehovah, in the lives of humanity. And when the people would go, may I say, and offer sacrifices at the altar of Baal, Satan himself was there waiting to receive that worship. This is who Elijah is up against. And the king of the land who had the power to remove the altars and idols and point the people toward God was the most guilty. Because he not only allowed the idols of Baal and the worship of Baal to happen, he encouraged it. His name was King Ahab. One of the most wicked kings in the history of the northern kingdom. This man was completely sold out as well for himself. He lived to please himself. His, his face would have fit perfectly on a meme. It's my life. I'll do what I want. King Ahab. Or it's my life. I'll live however I want to live it. His ear was deaf to the preaching and teaching of the word of God. He did not want to hear it. But his ears were wide open to evil. His wife was even more wicked than he was. She will forever go down in history as evil. Her name was Jezebel. Now, if your mother named you Jezebel, that doesn't mean you are evil, but this Jezebel sure was. She hated God. 
She had the preachers of God, the prophets of God killed. If Pastor Boots uh, and I had lived during that time, she would have tried to have us killed. She hated God's men. She hated God. She hated his word. She tore down and destroyed anything she could that had anything to do with honoring God or worshiping him. She was a mean, evil, wicked, scary woman. Jezebel. 1 Kings chapter uh, 17 there, if you follow along with me, verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the book Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Read the next three uh, words in verse 5 out loud with me. Ready? So he went. God told him to go over here, and guess what he did? He went over there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Look down at verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, came unto Elijah, saying, read these next five words out loud. Ready? Arise, get thee to Zarephath. Look at verse number 10. Read the first five words there. So he arose and went. God said, hey, go over here. And guess what Elijah did? He went over there. Uh, God said to him again, hey, now I want you to go over here. And what did he do? He obeyed, and he went where God told him to go. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Verse 2, and Elijah what? He went. God said, go. Elijah went. God said, go. Elijah went. God said, go. Elijah went. Do you see a pattern here? Amen. Whenever God says go, guess what? You need to go. And he went, verse 2, to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. You know, in America, just this last year, there's been a little bit of a famine, and there's a concern around the world right now with famine and uh, with the war in Ukraine and then not getting a lot of grain out. They're, uh, you know, one of the third exporters of of grain to Africa, and they're worried about people in Africa starving and not having enough food to eat. The Rhine River, uh, from which my family gets its name from, Rhines, was so low, ships weren't able to pass and move freight, uh, and they were worried uh, there in Germany. Uh, the Colorado River in the United States of America, if you heard anything, young people on the news, is, is drying up. Lake Mead is so far down, they're finding dead bodies that the mobsters have put in there, and, uh, you know, cases are being solved from, you know, Boulder Dam is so low, uh, they almost have to stop making electricity, and they're in a state of emergency in California, and they're saying, hey, let's pipe water from the Mississippi out here, and, and people are concerned in America right now because of water, and that's just one, one year, really, of, of no sustainable rain. Can you imagine three years with no rain at all? Israel's in a tough spot, and God's trying to get their attention. And Elijah comes back. God says, go back and show thyself to Ahab, verse uh, 1 of 18 said. So he went to show himself unto Ahab. There's a sore famine in the land. Look down at verse 17 of chapter 18. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house 
in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. Talk about earnestly contending for the faith. You ever played a basketball game, one against 850? <laughs> How about football? I mean, you may look at these odds and think, what a lop lopsided, unfair fight. And you would be absolutely right. It was unfair to the prophets of Baal. Because it doesn't matter how many numbers or how many people Satan throws against truth and right, God's side always wins. God and you make a majority. I feel bad for the prophets of Baal in this fight. They're outnumbered. You say, Elijah's over there? Yeah, you forgot somebody. God's over there too. If God before us, Romans 8.31 tells us who could be against us. God and you make a majority. And there's a mighty spiritual battle that happens in this chapter. Uh, the prophets of Baal, they pray for, from morning to night, asking Baal, please send fire down and consume this sacrifice and show you're real. Crickets. Elijah prays to the Lord, Lord God Almighty, please show them you're real. <sighs> burn up the sacrifice, burn up the rocks the sacrifice were on, burn up the water they poured over the sacrifice, burn up the dirt underneath the rocks the sacrifice was sitting on. Whew. Awesome. Awesome victory. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have been Elijah that moment? I mean, you'd think he'd be up here, cloud nine. Victory. Oh, you know, he's leaving Mount Carmel. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Man, cloud nine on the top. And uh, after that battle is over, God tells Ahab, go get up to the capital city because there's a sound of abundance of rain. God tells Elijah to pray, and it rains after three years. And he races Ahab's chariot on foot. Now I've run a 5k which is three point something too many miles. <laughs> and I'm trying to reach, you know, race against human beings, but me against a guy in a horse and chariots, you win. But Elijah beat him. I mean, what an awesome day. An awesome day. Uh, but there's one person who refused to come to this competition. She stayed home. Her name was Jezebel. She didn't want to listen to anything the man of God had to say and didn't want to submit to him in any way, shape, or form, including coming to see him compete against the prophet she supported. After all this is, uh, but I, I went a little too far. Go back with me to verse 22. Um, well, let, go back to verse 21 with me. Exodus 18, 21. Elijah came and all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Let me say the next verse here is where Elijah starts to place himself in a vulnerable position. Verse 22 of 1 Kings 18. Then said Elijah unto the people, I 
even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah starts to focus on himself. I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But look back to verse 13. This is verse 22. Look back at 1 Kings 18, 13. Obadiah tells Elijah something. As Elijah's on his way to show himself to King Ahab, read, look there, verse 13. Obadiah says, Was it not told, my Lord, that I, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? How many prophets at least then are still alive? A hundred. Elijah didn't say, I and a hundred others. No, Elijah's only focused on himself. Let me say, that's the beginning of Elijah's mistake and the beginning of one reason why he started to enter into battle fatigue. We'll see this is really, I believe, the stepping stone of why he ended up where he ended up here in a minute. He, he races Ahab to the gate. He gets there, a great victory. Uh, he was encouraged like he should have been. Uh, after this victory, the prophets of Baal were all killed. After this victory over Satan himself, there's nothing and nobody Elijah should have been afraid of. Is there? But the commitment and the energy and the focus and the effort that it takes to fight any kind of battle can be exhausting. You are most vulnerable, listen to this statement, you are most vulnerable right after a victory because you let your guard down. You set your weapon aside. You remove your shield. You won the battle. There's no need to watch for the enemy right now, is there? I could take my spiritual armor off for a little break, can I? After being on the front lines for so long, you can feel and get worn down, especially if you feel all alone. It's called battle fatigue. Also known as combat fatigue. Shell shock. It's a type of mental disorder characterized by anxiety, depression, and a loss of motivation caused by the stress of active warfare. He comes into the city and Ahab goes to talk with his beloved wife Jezebel. Look at chapter 19 verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You know what she said? She said, Elijah, you'll be as dead as those prophets of Baal are by this time tomorrow if it kills me. And notice the next verse, verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. So when he saw that, he arose and he went. But what do we see missing here? Elijah went, but God never told him to go. God had a job for him to do. Perhaps it involved Jezebel. But Elijah's focus turned inward on himself, which is, it's, it's a natural, normal 
human response. He started looking at his feelings, his loneliness, his pain. Life can get lonely at times, can it? You can be in a room full of people and feel alone and lost. Elijah's feeling alone. Satan has deceived him through Jezebel. And Elijah goes from victory to discouragement to depression to wanting to die. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. God, just kill me. Just let me die. I can't take it anymore. You know, one thing throughout all this process, you don't see God doing, you don't see God ever yell at Elijah in this state. Something else you don't see God do is he never scolds Elijah in this state. As he lay and slept under the tree, verse 5, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose, and he did eat and drink, and, and instead of Going back to where he should have been, he went somewhere else without God telling him to. It says, and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. That must have been some nutritious, vitamined, spiritual meal. You can eat that meal and go for 40 days without eating anything else. I would like to have some of that. For 40 days, he didn't eat anything else. And he, he, he ran, he walked, he journeyed for 40 days to the same mountain that God met Moses on, the same mountain that the Ten Commandments were handed down to Moses on because Elijah needed to get to somebody who he knew would be for him, not realizing that that somebody had never left him. He gets there to Mount Horeb. And look at verse number 9. He came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah responds in verse 10, and again, here's the problem. Where, look where his focus is. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken thy covenant, throw down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, here he goes again, even I only am, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now the Lord lets him know that there's not just a hundred prophets there. There are 7,000 men in Israel that have not bowed their, their knee to Baal. There's 7,000. You know, one thing that's encouraging me that I've found out as a pastor is there's so many other pastors and missionaries out there that I've never met. Good to meet this brother tonight. And to be reminded of this brother, I meet you too. There's so many churches out there, but Satan will lie to you and say, man, you're the only one that's standing. 
man, you're in this all alone. Everyone else has gone away of worshiping Baal, and they're all gone, uh, you know, away from the word of God, and they've, they've dropped the standards of the word of God and the truth and righteousness, and they've, they've gone to more liberal stance. You know, Satan, he's trying to tear you down. He's trying to do that to the teenagers, too. Why, why do you need to stand for God? There ain't no other, no other teenagers out there. Why are you standing for God? There ain't nobody else that wants uh, to stand for right. You're standing all alone. What's the point? Satan wants to lie to you. Satan's favorite letter is the letter D. He's a deceiver who wants to discourage you and then depress you, and he wants you to die. D, the letter D. He asked him another time, what doest thou here, Elijah? I didn't send you. I didn't leave you back there when Jezebel sent the messenger. You left me. And look, if you find your, yourself in a discouraged, depressed place tonight or any time in your life, it's not because God left you. You allowed fear to separate yourself and walked away from him. And he's still there. He's still there. The Lord asked him a second time, what doest thou here? Look, God was still powerful. God still had plans for Elijah. God wasn't going to allow Jezebel to have her way. But when you have battle fatigue, when you stop focusing on why you're fighting, when you stop fake focusing on who you are fighting for, the Lord, and you start focusing on you and your feelings and your pain and your fear, the end result is going to be discouragement. And if you allow that discouragement to stay and not be approached with the word of God and faith, it can grow into depression. And if you allow that depression to stay there, that depression can grow into, and you may find yourself where Elijah did, wanting to die. There's a 10th grade boy. I drive a school bus for our local school district, and a 10th grade boy took his life this year, second week of school. He's out of the fight. God, God, I'm sorry, Satan would love to take you out of the fight. He'd love for you to take yourself out of the fight. You know, I can sympathize with him because as a 14-year-old boy in ninth grade, I sat with my back to my bedroom door, weeping, brokenhearted, and said, God, just kill me. Started thinking of ways I could take my life that wouldn't have to shock my parents or my brother or my sister if they found me. In sixth grade, after sixth grade, we moved from Indiana to Illinois. My dad went to start a church in Quad Cities, Illinois, and we uh, went to uh, a brand new school, a uh, uh, school of about 100 uh, students and, uh, in, in the, the junior high and high school, and, and I did not know a soul there. We uh, had an orientation at a restaurant that had a buffet, and they, they had a room that they had rented, and, and I'm sitting there trying to be my best behavior. You know, it's new people. You want to make a good impression, and I'm in seventh grade. I'm a junior high boy. I don't know anybody, and uh, food was great. We didn't get to often eat buffet back then, you know, and, uh, you know, just eating all these different things. I'm, I'm, this is going to be a great school year. I'm, looking, I'm talking to the people at the table. I'm looking forward to making some friends. And the principal gets up and he says, look, we're going to play a game of charades. I need three seventh grade boys to volunteer. And I said, well, this is my chance. You know, I, I'm a pretty good actor. 
and um, it make people, you know, like me a little bit. So raise my hand. Two of the boys did. He took us outside the room. He said, all right, you only have one prop, a stool, all right? You can act these out, okay? So he told one guy, you're going to pretend you're skiing. He told another guy, you're going to pretend you're riding uh, a motorcycle. And he told me, you're going to pretend like you're riding a horse. I'm like, I can do this. This is easy. Easy. So we go in there. We're all standing off to the side. The first guy gets up. You know, he's, he's sitting down on the stool, and he's pretending he's skiing. Whoosh, whoosh. And everybody's like, yeah, clapping and laughing a little bit. And I'm thinking, man, that guy, he needs acting classes. That's lame. I can ski better than that. Wait till they see me. The next guy gets out there. Everybody's laughing. And uh, I'm like, this is great, you know. I get out there, it's my turn, and I pretended that stool was a wild bronco, and I rode that thing all over the city. Yeah! Man, people were tears coming out of their eyes, rolling, almost rolling on the floor. I'm like, this is fantastic. Uh, I made some friends, this is good. I went and sat down. The principal gets up. Everybody's smirking and laughing. And he said, I just want to thank these young men. We, what you didn't realize is, is you were showing everybody how you use the restroom. I'm looking around like, what? I can't look up at anybody. I'm like, I had never been so embarrassed in my entire life. I was like, oh, this is going to be the worst year ever. <laughs> Crushed me. I ended up getting picked on every single day at that school. Then my mom homeschooled us the next year. We lived out in the middle of nowhere, so there weren't any friends, small church. We moved to a new school, Michigan. Nobody wanted to be my friend that year either, ninth grade. I didn't have nice enough clothes. Our car door, when you shut it, rust would fall off. So when we got to school, if it had snowed, you knew if we had been there before you, because, oh, the Rhineses are here. And there was cliques, there was groups. You had to fit into this certain group, you know, to be in this group or this group. And, and I had met one guy before school, and, and we kind of buddied up to each other. But then when school started, he really didn't have anything to do with me. And I was like, man going on then then soccer started and I'm I can be pretty good in athletics and on the soccer field I just took all my anger and passion out on the soccer field and all of a sudden like hey how's it going man how's it going Rob me oh you like me now because I can kick a ball but you still don't see my soul I'm the same guy I was before soccer as I am now. I just needed a, I needed friends, I felt. I just was tired of being rejected. I had myself convinced that if I took my life, not even my own parents would come to my funeral. So I'm sitting there as a ninth grade boy. I'm weeping. My back is to my bedroom door. I'm saying, God, if this is what life is, don't let me live it.
And then he brought this thought into my mind, because rejection is what I was feeling. He said, this thought came into my mind from God. Now you know how I feel. God, you're, you're, you're almighty, you're all-powerful, you live in heaven, you sit on a throne, angels beckon to your call. What do you mean? Now I know how you feel. He said, I'm calling every single person every single day through creation and through my word to come unto me. Do you know how many people look at me and say no? Wow, I didn't think about that, God. Something else that really spoke to me is that I had not been spending a lot of time with God, which was part of my problem. And so God had felt alone because of me. And I said, God, you have felt rejected and alone like this. I don't want you to feel like that because of me. And, and that, that night, he just confirmed that he loved me no matter how big or small my ears were. I actually had hair back then, too, by the way. No matter how much or little hair I had, no matter how good I was or wasn't in soccer, God accepted me. And you know when I finally realized that? I didn't need anyone else to accept me. God just, felt, just, just touched me with, with that understanding of love, and I knew I could go to school, and it didn't matter if anyone loved me or not, he did. I didn't have to earn his love. He loved me while I was yet a sinner. And just really encouraged me and, and uh, changed my life. And from then on, I started actually seeing a whole lot of kids that felt the same way that I felt. And I started being their friend like I wanted someone to be a friend to me. But battle fatigue, depression. The devil, you know, the Lord came to Peter and he said, Satan hath de desired to have ye thee that he may sift you as wheat. What's your name, young man? Joshua. You know, everybody can put your name in that verse because Satan wants to sift and destroy and discourage you, Joshua, just like he did wanted to Peter. And he wants to discourage these young ladies and these young men. And he wants you to get out of the fight. And just think, if I had taken my life at 14 years of age and I entered into uh, the gates of heaven because I was a saved young man, I think the very first question God would have looked at me and said is, what are you doing here, Rob? I had a wife for you and three kids that never now will be born. And I had a youth conference that I wanted you to preach at down in Virginia. And there was another teenager that was struggling with being discouraged and depressed that you could have helped, but now you're not going to be there. Don't get out of the fight. Don't let Satan deceive you and weary you so you stop fighting because God has so much for you that you'll miss out on. There's someone else down the road that you're supposed to talk to about Christ that you won't be there to tell them if you say, I can't take this anymore. Don't let Satan lie to you like that. God loves you just the way you are. Big ears, small ears, crooked nose, long, long nose, short nose, fat ankles, ugly toes. Don't we all have ugly toes? <laughs> the Lord says they're beautiful when you sh share the gospel. God loves you 100% with your hair color, your eye color, your teeth shape, your height. That's something I struggle with, shortness growing up. 
how tall or short you are, God loves you just like that. Don't try to be someone else. Listen for his voice, and when he calls and tells you to go somewhere, go. Go to India. Go to Italy. I listened to his call. I listened to his voice, and I blocked out Satan's, and I thank God today that I have three children and a beautiful wife. And I didn't think I'd ever marry a beautiful wife. I didn't know if I'd ever get married at all. You know, we all think we're all ugly, you know. Then someone says, hey, you look handsome. You're like, what? <laughs> but God thinks you're handsome right now, boys. And God thinks you're beautiful right now, girls. Listen to his voice. Don't listen to Satan's. Bows and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just showing me you get grieved as well. Lord, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can make you grieved. As grieved as I was sitting there weeping as a ninth grade boy in, in my room alone, feeling all alone, until I realized sometimes you feel that way. God, I never want you to feel alone because I made you that way. Lord, that's why I want to read your word and walk with you and pray because I love you and because you love me and I, I want you, Lord, to feel loved by me. May each and every young person or adult in this room make that same decision tonight. Amen. Amen. Good message, Pastor. Thank you for that. And, um, you know, discouragement is something that you think that, that uh, young people necessarily are not. That's not something that a young person is supposed to go through. That's not something that a young person has or whatever else. You can get discouraged at any age, right? It doesn't matter. The devil's going to be put. It, the devil wants to get you discouraged now. Because think about how much he can stop you from doing for the Lord if he gets you discouraged now. Somebody that's 75 years old and gets discouraged, I mean, they're, you know, obviously God can use you at any age. But 75 years old, you're getting closer to the end of your life. You've had 75 years. If he can get you discouraged at 75, hey, he's got you for a little time. But think about if he can get you discouraged at 12 and make you quit at 12 years old, how much you're not going to accomplish for the Lord because you said, you know what, this isn't worth it, I'm done, and you quit. And you go through the motions until you're 18 or 20 or 22 years old because you know your parents and, you know, your pastor and everybody else is, is not going to let you be that way, but you're, you're done. You're done. And at 22 years old, you give up and you go jump into the world and go do what you want to do because it's not worth it. Guess who wins? The devil. And that's exactly what he wants to do. So the more young people he can get discouraged, the more he wins and the less you can accomplish for the Lord. So just because you're young does not mean that you cannot get discouraged. Just because you're young doesn't mean the devil is not going to attack you. Oh, he attacks my pastor because of this or that. Or he attacks my parents because of this or that. Look at how much they're doing for the Lord. No, he, he knows how much you have the potential to do for the Lord. And he wants to stop you before it even starts. So that's, that's a, what, a, what, a, what a great reminder for us. And if you are discouraged or you've got something going on in your life, you need to talk to somebody about it. Right? There's, um, I deal with, uh, I'm a chaplain for our police department. I deal with officers all the time who are just discouraged and they don't know who to talk to. And they think they, that nobody will understand if I, if I say this to somebody. Nobody will understand me if I tell them that this is going on in my life. No, a lot of people will understand. You just need to humble yourself enough to go talk to somebody about it. And they will help you. Do you want to feel that way the rest of your life? 
I don't think anybody would say that they do, but it takes some humility. It takes some, hey, I need help, right? And, uh, and, and, and you, can, you can be helped. God wants you to, God wants you to have the victory. God wants you to live victorious over Satan, right? If you're saved, we're on the winning side, right? Uh, we're going to sing that chorus actually in a little bit. I'm on the winning side. Out in sin, no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight in the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. Why do you want to act like you're on the side of the loser, right? But that's what the devil wants you to feel like, right? And uh, get, get some help. We're going to have an invitation after Pastor David preaches, but yeah, I want you to think about these things. Keep them in your mind, and, and uh, if the Lord's spoken to your heart, then when we have that invitation in just a little bit, after he's done preaching, then you make a decision about that too. And um, it's, it's an important, important thing. All right, here's what we're going to do next. We're going to have some ice cream. All right, so we have that all set up for you out there, and um, we'll, we'll get you to, to go out there and get some of that, and then we'll come back in here, and we'll do some more games and some songs and things, and then Pastor David's going to preach for us after that, all right? Before we do that, though, how about let's give away a couple more prizes, huh? Get your tickets out real quick. And we have our winners, too. Actually, so let me, 